Syracuse tape on it's like a missile. It's a heat-seeking missile to the football. Charles, you get a chance to look at this kid? See him live, Mike, against USC out at the Coliseum. Yeah. Yep. That's exactly what you're talking about. Had no problem finding someone, directing his body, and trying to run through that person. And I think he's going to run way faster than people think. I'll be stunned if it's not. Whoa, oh, ow. Went right on his chin. That seemed like a face plant there. Drills coming up. Oh, look at peppers. That's the way you wrap up a, a workout that you're you winging it. on the fly. Yeah. Ben Bull, where you'd love it. Talk about an oh. alpha. Had that, that what a way to I came here, man. You know what I'm saying? I'm a little disappointed, but, you know, I had to do what I had to do to get where I need to be, man. It is what it is. That 13 pounds I put on slowed me down, but it is what it is. <laughs> More judicious about how often he runs the football. Sir, hey, 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 Instagram guy, move. <laughs> Somebody just got the gate from Mark Gorsick. <laughs> he called him Instagram guy. Who is Instagram guy? <laughs> Somebody had a camera out there. <laughs> and that's the walk of shame the right there. That Insta is the ultimate Instagram walk of shame. only thing I got to say is, how about them Cowboys? How about them, Cowboys? Indeed. Indeed it is. An NFL Combine preview edition of About Them Cowboys. Your go-to podcast for all things America's team here on The Athletic. I am Kent Garrison, your producer who is willing to show the world his bad tattoos. Back for another round with our experts here at The Athletic. We've got a ton on deck for you this episode, including an update on some pending signings, a look at John's first Cowboys mock draft of the season and a special guest appearance from the one and only draft expert that we all trust, Dane Brugler. And remember, you can get all of their great work on a daily basis over at The Athletic, and you can secure your subscription good through February of 2021 now at theathletic.com slash aboutthemcowboys for 40% off. And that rounds out to about $2.99 per month for the best sports coverage you can get anywhere. And that also includes Dane's upcoming 2020 draft guide at no extra cost to you. So get on it now. Theathletic.com slash aboutthemcowboys for 40% off. So now it's time to welcome in our panel for this episode. He is back to covering this team. He won't steal your signs, but he will steal your heart. It's Father John Mishota. Hey, John, uh, will you be at the Combine with me next week? Oh, I will be there all week long. Um, I have a quick question for you, though. Okay. How, how uh, long does it take you to prepare these, uh, these intros? It takes me about, uh, I don't know, what, we started this at 8.30 a.m. I was on here about 8.25 a.m. That's so. just, you just come up with that stuff off the top of your head, huh? Oh, the yeah. stealing your signs and stealing your heart thing? You got to be relevant to the times. Okay. And I like there's it. There's nothing more relevant to the times than sign stealing these days. And, you know, we could go on about that for pretty much this entire episode. But we're, we're going to save that for another day. I'm sure our Astros podcast that's launching here <laughs> on The Athletic soon will have something to say about that. So, so again, so secure your subscription. That's a hard thing to say. Secure your subscription. And uh, you can get all of that content at no extra cost. So, Johnny, yeah, I'm excited about the combine next week, man. Hopefully, it's not t you know minus 25 degrees like it's been a few years uh, up there. Yeah, no, I am too. Just because we haven't had as much access as you know, I mean, we had Stephen and and Will McClay at, at Senior Bowl, but it's been kind of quiet, and so this will give us a chance to you know talk to Mike McCarthy, Stephen Jones, Jerry Jones. So. Uh, hopefully we can get a little bit more information about things such as this DAC contract, such as directions they're going to go uh, in the draft, because there's just a, a lot of gray area right now. Um, and, and even like, as you mentioned, me putting together that seven round mock, I mean, there's a lot of things that are still questionable about which direction they're going to go, because I based it a lot off of how they've drafted in the past. So, I mean, how, how much input Mike McCarthy has, the way they're going to go. Uh, with him and his staff. I mean, there's just a lot of things in play now that might make this whole process a little bit different than it's been the last few years. Yeah, and John and I will be out there together, and we'll have a podcast set up out there. We'll be doing podcasts. Uh, hopefully we'll do one after Mike McCarthy talks, maybe recap what he had to say. And then Jerry always does his little Jerry bus, you know, have a few beers with the local reporters session, and 
John will be there recording that, and hopefully we get some juicy Jerry talk coming out of that that we can break down for you here on The Athletic, which will be great. So stay tuned, of course, next week to your feeds, and multiple episodes might be dropping there, so maybe some special guests dropping by, things like that. So it'll be a good time at the Combine next week. So now it's time to welcome in our host for this episode. He is taking care of my baby, The Draft Show, and he's been killing it on local radio lately. On 97.1 The Eagle, bringing you hard-hitting interviews from people such as Mark Cuban, Tony Romo, and someone called The Farting Mayor? It's Kevin K.T. Turner. (laughs) K.T., I want an explanation on that, but uh, I'm going to miss you at the Combine this year, man. We've had some good times up there. Yeah, no, I I want to. I wish I could go to the combine, and uh, you know the combine just didn't work out in the three months that I was unemployed. So it uh, it sucks that I don't get to go this year. But uh, yeah, man, I, I think I'm probably most proud of the farting mayor, even though we had Dirt Cuban and Tony Romo on. The <laughs> exactly. farting mayor was probably the best segment we've ever done. Was that, that was that your concoction there? I mean, honestly. Kind of, but it's just kind of a retread story from 2015 that we did because uh, <laughs> there are no rules. Um, exactly. And I, and I get my sports fix here. We're hanging out with you guys uh, here on the Athletic, and uh, there you go. Uh, I'm pumped. You guys, know, you guys know I love this time of the year as, as draft season heats up, and I I, I can't think of, and I, I swear I'm not being you know uh, hyperbolic here, but I, I really. Can't think of a more important offseason the Cowboys have had in the last five years. I mean, this is the one. And I mm. I know there was a year with the change between Romo and Dak, but they had kind of made plans to have Romo in 2016. There's so many questions, so many decisions that they have to make. It seems like the difficult decisions have kind of all stacked up here this year. Would you agree, John, that this is probably the biggest in terms of uncertainties and just huge questions for building a roster and salary cap? implications that they've had over the last five years yeah i'd even go to, uh, to the last 10 i mean just because you this is the first time in that stretch you have a new coaching staff and then the fact that i just can't remember another time where they had 25 unrestricted free agents like this where you know yeah. i just wrote an article that should be up on the athletic and very shortly just about free agents that they could target off of other teams and while i'm writing that i'm thinking to myself well, it's going to be hard for them to even to keep a lot of their own guys so um, you know, much less to add a, a bunch of significant pieces from other teams. It's just not going to happen. I mean, especially when you have such key guys like your franchise quarterback, like your number one wide receiver that you need to sign. And then you have a new coaching staff coming in here who uh, might put a bigger value on different positions than the previous coaching staff that, you know, we got so used to just assuming, well, they're not going to really value safety here. They're not going to de- value uh, a defensive tackle here. And maybe that stuff changes now, and so it makes it interesting. But, no, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, I think it's the last 10 years, but for sure the last five years. I don't want to put you on the spot here, <laughs> um, but I, I might do that. Do you know when the fran- the specific day of the franchise tag deadline is to, to put it on someone? Well, I know that as of March 10th is the, is the first day that, you know, that they can – the deadline for, for them to designate somebody. And then in okay. April is when they actually have to have it – that's like their deadline for when it, it has to be. If they don't have it done by then, then that player has to go uh, into the upcoming season under the franchise tag. So that's your window right there. It's that March, April is where, you know, the negotiations, I think, will really heat up. Because, I mean, you just see with the way things have been done with the Cowboys in, in the past few years with their contracts. It's These deadlines are, are really the, the you know, the, the leverage point here. And if, if Dak gets to a point where, you know, they think he might not show up for offseason workouts, you know, that that's something that is is it weighs heavily in his favor just because of what we've seen happen recently, whether it be Demarcus Lawrence saying he's not going to get the surgery until he gets a contract while he gets a new contract. Yeah. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott saying he's not going to show up for training camp until he gets a new contract. He doesn't show up for training camp. The season's about to start. He gets a new contract. Uh, a couple of years before that, Zach Martin wanted a new contract. He didn't show up to a, an offseason uh, workout. And then all of a sudden, you know, his new contract was done too. So, I mean, there is this, uh, you know, this run of, you know, when you have the leverage like that, use it. And if I was Dak's agent, I certainly would be telling him to do that because uh, uh, you can't afford to have your quarterback miss any of that stuff with the same coaching staff, much less with a new coaching staff. And so uh, the Dak contract stuff is really going to heat up here. And I mean, while the combine is all about the draft, there's just a lot of stuff that's going on behind the scenes 
while the team is there, while Steven's there, while Jerry's there, you know, with with these other agents, a lot of the, the discussions go down there. And, and that's why this DAC contract stuff should really heat up here within the next couple of weeks. You know, and I, I think they've got I feel like they have a they, they've got a pretty preliminary plan. I don't think they're going into this blind or anything. I know they're they kind of uh, at least have it mapped out the way they want to do it. I, I just can't get over the fact the way I've been thinking over the last month. And I don't know what you've heard. I know it's kind of a quiet time of year a little bit before it heats up. But I get the vibe that they might really be okay franchising Dak for one year with McCarthy. Are you getting that vibe at all? Or do you think they really want to get Dak done? And honestly, to me, it's begun. It's begun and I'm a big fan of Dak. You know that it almost makes more sense to me to go ahead and just franchise Dak, let him work with McCarthy for one year, and then do the deal. Do you think they're thinking that way or the other way? Do you know? I don't know for certain. Um, I can just go off of the things I've heard over the last six months or so. And regardless of how McCarthy feels, Jerry and Steven feel like Dak is the guy. And because of that, I just, I've always felt like it's going to be a long-term deal for him. And I, I, I know that there's that possibility that you could use the franchise tag on him and the transition tag on Mari. I'd rather aim to using that franchise tag on Amari. And I, I think Amari would be okay with doing that because Amari was never, there was never really much contract talk last year with him as he was going into the final year of his deal. And so he just is a different kind of dude. And I think he'd be fine playing underneath that franchise tag. Whereas uh, the, you know, I think Dak was okay last year. uh, But I I just, I get the feeling that he's not going to be very happy if he has to play under this franchise tag this year. And he's just too, he's too much of a key to this team to, I mean, if you're going to sit there and you're going to make Ezekiel Elliott happy, by giving him that new deal right before you start the season. I don't understand how you don't do the same for Dak and keep him happy going into this season uh, when you can easily make the argument he's your most important player. He's going to be your highest paid player um, of all time. And and really, you just keep going off of this. Well, okay, so you do the franchise tag. Then, like, when does that end? You know, what if Dak has another big year? Then you just dig yourself deeper into the hole. And I just don't know that you want to be doing what, Minnesota did, or I'm sorry, what Washington did with Kirk Cousins, and then ultimately ends up going to Minnesota. So, you know, I mean, obviously, if it comes to that, you know, they, Dak's going to be on this team, so they'll they'll use that. But I would say that that's not their goal at all. Their goal is to at least get a four year deal done with him. Yeah, no, and and that would make sense too to go ahead and get that done, especially with you know, obviously we know the quarterback price is going up. I, I guess I've I've kind of been thinking about. Uh, uh, maybe it's the wrong way to think about it because you can manipulate the salary cap. But the way I've been kind of thinking about things if, is how many guys can you get and who's the guy that goes to the streets? Well, I mean, honestly, you could probably make it work to where you have almost everyone back. Um, certainly feels like Byron Jones is going to be a tough guy to keep unless he takes a you know a little bit of a discount because you're not going to get a discount on Dak. Um, you're probably not going to get much of a discount on Amari Cooper. Maybe it's not, uh, you know, the the top wide receiver contract. I don't think anyone expects him to get that, but you're paying him probably top five or ten at the position. Dak, you're clearly going to be paying top five or ten at the position. Byron Jones is a guy who, because of a cornerback class, that honestly it's not a great cornerback free agent class, I, I think he can command – top five, top six, top eight cornerback position money. So it'll be interesting to see how his representation handles this. And that's not even mentioning who I think was their most important defensive player last year, Robert Quinn, who I know is a little different because he's older. I think they need to have Robert Quinn back on this team. Yeah, and I think Robert Quinn will be more affordable just because of his age. Um, I think you could probably get a little bit more of a team-friendly deal there. Whereas with Byron, I've just felt all along, if, if, they, if he was going to remain with the Cowboys, it was going to get done before this se- this past season was over. And when that kind of dragged on, you didn't really hear much on it. I was like, well, if he heads the free agency, uh, it's it's not good for the Cowboys. Even if he doesn't become the highest-paid corner and or reset the market and get to that level, I just think he's going to get priced at a level that's too high uh, for Dallas. And, and you know, it, it factors in that, obviously, because of this Dak and Amari situation, you know, you're not really looking at him as a guy that you would franchise tag anyway. And so because of that, and I know we'll get into talking about the draft, that's why I think corners were there, where they're going to target at 17. I, I mean, obviously, if there's key players that fall, they don't think are going to be there. But I'm saying if I was betting on 
what position right now would have the highest odds of what they take if they stay at 17? I would go corner because that's how I feel like they'll look to replace Byron. Uh, one thing I wanted to add real quick, July 15th. Now, that's that key date when we talked about the franchise yeah. tag earlier. July 15th is the actual date where, like, that's the drop drop dead that, like, if you don't have something done, then that player has to play under that one-year franchise tag. And so, you know, that, that was one of those things where, um, you know, as you head into the training camp, you know, I just don't think that that's if you don't have a deal done with Dak and, and you're going into training camp and he knows he's going to be on that franchise tag again, I don't think he's going to be very happy. Now, I don't know how that impacts his play, um, but but that is the, the other deadline that you have to know is that you're that you're right before training camp. It's a couple of weeks before July 15th. That's that's another uh, important date to remember, whether it's Dak, whether it's Amari, whether it's whoever with the franchise tag. Uh, that's a key date there, too. But um, in ranking those, would you put. Byron ahead of Robert Quinn, or would you put Quinn above Byron if you could only have one back? Well, I'm looking at the defensive line currently, and I I guess the way I'm thinking about this is more uh, short-term than it is long-term. I would rank Robert Quinn ahead of Byron Jones, but it's it's close. But I just look at that defensive line, and I don't see how you're super competitive uh, or make big improvements to your defense without improving that defensive line. And I just think it's harder to find a pass rusher than it is to find a cornerback. And I'm not, you know, uh, I'm not underscoring, you know, how good Byron has been. He's been a very good player. And I know that the secondary could have an extreme makeover over these next two years. But I think Quinn for a year, Quinn for two years, Quinn bringing speed off the edge opposite of Demarcus Lawrence – really changes the dynamic of how I would feel about this defense compared to if Byron was back, you know, hypothetically shutting down, you know, one-third of the field. And and you're in this position because you no longer have Randy Gregory. You no longer have Taco Charlton. Those were significant draft investments there. And I know people still bring up Randy Gregory. I've not heard anything from – I have never heard anything about him even working out, doing anything. And so um, I know people keep (laughs) hoping that one day that – He's just all of a sudden going to appear and that he's going to be rushing the passer again. I just don't think that that's wise to just assume that that's ever going to happen. If it does, great, consider it then. But I, I certainly don't think the Cowboys are looking at it that way. Um, they're looking at it as the similar situation as they were last year at this time. And that's why they did the trade for Robert Quinn. And so can they find another guy like that if they can't keep a Robert Quinn? I mean, we'll see. Um, you know, it seemed like Robert Quinn enjoyed his time here. I don't know if he really wants to jump to another team. I know it came down to the Cowboys and the Saints last year because even though he was under contract with the Dolphins, you know, the team gave him a chance to visit with teams that, you know, would be a good fit via trade. And and those are the two teams it came down to. And so um, he he wanted to come to the Cowboys before. Um, You know, obviously they had a disappointing season, but I don't know that that's going to be enough to make him not want to come back. I think he liked the role that he had. And obviously how can you not enjoy getting 11 and a half sacks in a season? So, I don't know. I think that there's a better chance of getting a deal there that's more team friendly than, like I said, with Byron Jones. Yeah, no, I, I think cornerbacks in position in the draft, and we'll talk a little bit about the draft a, a little bit later too uh, in the podcast. But I do think quarterbacks in a position in the draft they can immediately, you know, at least get a body in there. And I know they're concerned about Cheeto. You know, you don't see cornerbacks get benched often. Um, and I know Jordan Lewis. You know, I, I think people like the way he played, but he also gave up, you know, I think, 11 yards a catch last year, too. So, you're not, it's like you're set. If Byron's gone, you still have questions in your pass defense that you're going to have to address. I just feel better about finding a cornerback in, in the draft or two in the draft than I do about finding an impactful edge rusher in the draft, yeah, even picking at 17. And well, I also think there's an Anthony Brown question that becomes very intriguing as well. I mean, I, I think Anthony Brown, because he got hurt, saves you some money. I think he helps you out a little bit. And I, he's a guy I would personally like to have back because he can play inside, can play outside. Um, and, and he's been a pretty good player, and he's not going to cost you over $10 million a year. Yeah, I agree with you on the Anthony Brown. Again, a guy, any of these guys like like a him, like a Joe Thomas, guys that could potentially sign a team-friendly deal – because they they like the role that they were in and they see a similar role going forward. That makes a lot of sense to me. And and for sure, uh, Anthony Brown, if he if he can't get better money out on the open market, which I don't know that he will be able to, 
Um, he makes a lot of sense bringing back too. Obviously, that wouldn't stop me from drafting a corner. And and the reason why I bring up corner yeah. at seventeen is just because of the fact of you know I mean a lot of people talk about safety and and you just see in a lot of these mock drafts that they have a safety going to the Cowboys at seventeen. And I just I, I, yeah they changed the the coaching staff, but but the guys that study this draft and the Will McClays and the people on his staff behind the scenes, you know, they didn't like the safeties enough to draft one over Tristan Hill in the second round. Um, you know, Stephen Jones said that uh, two years ago that they wouldn't even have taken Derwin James over Leighton Vander Esch. And Derwin James is a better safety than either the two guys that are, that are being, you know, mock draft to them, Grant Delpit and Xavier McKinney. And so I just, I find it hard to believe that, because those guys are sitting there and it fills a position need. I get people doing mock drafts because it makes sense and it fits and all that. But I look at the way this team is drafted over the last decade and, or heck, forget the decade. We'll go to 14 because that's when Will McClay took over. They just put a way higher priority on corners than they do safeties. And so if I agree with you. That secondary needs to be improved. And so where what fits in there? I, I just feel like you're going to have your best pick at corner after obviously, you know, Jeffrey Akuda goes whatever, top three, four, five, somewhere in there, then yeah. you're, you should have a chance to get the second best corner in this draft potentially at 17. And I just think that lines up more with what they're doing. And then, you know, even with Mike McCarthy, I know he wasn't, he didn't have the say in the draft that Jason Garrett did when he was in Green Bay, but there was a lot of defensive backs drafted early when he was in Green Bay towards the end of his time there. And so, um, like I said, I'm not saying that, that that's, they don't look at it like this. They're not sitting there saying, we need a corner, we're taking a corner definitely right here. I'm just saying if I was betting right now, that's the position I'd bet is is what they do at 17. Well, you put up a seven-round mock draft up on The Athletic here in a little bit. We'll go dive into that and take a look at it, just a hypothetical exercise. And we can talk about some of those I'm players. Interested. I I'm interested to hear do. what you say about that. I think you're going to rip it apart, but I don't know. You no, watch these no, players no, more than I do, so. <laughs> well, I, I, I have my thoughts about the direction of the draft, but I think as long as we're all kind of on the same page of, look – uh, defense is a problem right now, and that needs to be addressed. You know, I, I think this is where you know I know there's a lot of people. If you get on draft Twitter or, or anything, clamoring for this team to take a wide receiver at 17, and I just don't know if they can do that. And, and I wish they could, but you know, because uh, it'd be fun. But like, I just don't know if this is the year to do that. And I don't know if they can afford to do that. It feels very, like a very luxurious thing to do for a team that just went eight and eight and whose defense crapped out on them all year long. So well, I think it, I think kinda, there's going to be. I was going to say that I think there's going to be fuel added to your fire because I do believe that when we get in front of Mike McCarthy and they do their pre-draft press conferences and that, I think we're going to hear even more than we've heard in the past about best player available. And so they're not going to rule anything out, and they're going to say, "Hey, regardless of whatever, we're going to take the best player there that that that's there at 17." And I think that's just going to fuel like what you said, like you know, Rugs or one of these wide receivers, Judy, somebody like that. That if they were to fall, CD Lamb, I think that that would just their idea of well, best player. Well, hey, if one of those receivers there is that the best player available? Man, I, I and you know what? That's probably going to be what the case because. I was looking at 17, and then we, we kind of know, uh, you know, Okuda from Ohio State, uh, Derek Brown, um, I, I'm uh, Chase Chase Young. You know, we kind of know know those guys. You know about Burrow. We know Tua is going to go in the top 17 unless something wild happens with his medicals at the combine. So I'm sitting there going, okay. So really, after that, then you're kind of looking at about 13 players, and you can start to kind of weed it down. Okay, now there's just 12 players left here. Uh, let's say maybe Herbert get, gets into the top 17. Okay. And you start going, okay, well, who are the remaining 10 players? If Jordan Love sneaks up there, I don't think he will, but what if he sneaks up into the top 17? You know, you can, you can find ways for a really, really good actual first round graded player to go to the Cowboys at 17. And that's where you go. Do they take a first round wide receiver over a second round graded uh, cornerback or a second round graded? Pass rusher. I mean, those are questions they're gonna have to gonna have to face, and it'll make you ask questions like, should they move back then if they're gonna just take the second round graded guy there? Should they move back? Uh, the wide receivers in this draft are gonna throw everything off because, I mean, I'm I, I'm legitimate. There's almost like 25 guys graded in the top four rounds, and honestly, the Cowboys have a fifth round pick, and the comp picks haven't came in yet, but they've got a fifth round pick. That's where I kind of go, man, I think you can get a pretty good wide receiver in the fifth round, which sounds insane to even talk like that. But if Cobb's going to be back, and I think 
He might be, you know, I don't think it's it's all set in stone. You still would have your top three receivers there, and then you could start developing that fourth guy who you might be able to get, you know, in the draft. And, you know, for me, I kind of – given that you have Gallup on the outside, you'll most likely have Cooper. I do want one of those separator types, you know, those quick separator types. But, you know, that's something we can get into uh, here in a little bit. I, I think I thought this was interesting. So, yesterday, Greg Olson – uh, leaves the Panthers, signs with the Seahawks on a one-year deal for $7 million. And then Witten is uh, at an awards banquet last night. He was getting the Collegiate Man of the Year Award at the Star in Frisco. And here's the quote where he said, uh, you know, I think coaching's in my future, but right now I want to play while I can. We'll see what takes place. Of course, I want to be with the Cowboys. I'll always be a Cowboy. But I also understand that with all the changes, I may have to go somewhere else. I didn't think Witten would be willing to go play somewhere else. And now I'm starting to get the realistic vibe that he actually would be like, yeah, I guess if the uh, you know if the Patriots want me, I, I'll go to Foxborough. Or if the Giants want me, I'll do that. I want to play. Uh, what do you think about the comments from last night? What do you think about the realistic – you know, chances that he would be back as a cowboy. Uh, well, what are your thoughts on all this, man? <laughs> yeah, it's, it is interesting because I just, I thought one of the biggest reasons why he left Monday Night Football to come back is specifically because he felt like he could fit into a role with the Dallas Cowboys and that he saw that, you know, they were on this cusp of, of winning a Super Bowl. And, and that's, I thought that that was the biggest reason why he came back. And you hear this stuff and, and it just really makes you think that, well, no, he just wanted to play football again, you know? And, uh, and, and yeah. so I got a chance to talk to him on the phone uh, a couple of weeks ago before the Super Bowl uh, for a thing he was doing, a promotional thing he was doing for Marriott. And uh, so that's the first time that, you know, he had said that um, he'd be open to playing for another team if it comes down to that. And then, so being at the thing last night and, you know, he gets a lot of the same questions and, it's interesting because he hasn't really heard anything from the Cowboys, you know, other than having a sit down with Mike McCarthy, which happened, heck, that happened before we went to the senior bowl. I mean, that was like probably mid January. It was probably maybe a week after a week or two after McCarthy got the job and he hasn't talked to him since. So he hasn't talked to him since the entire staff has been put together. And so, um, you could just, I don't know. I got to feel that, that Jason doesn't really even know, like he's sitting there and, and he said he expects something to happen within the next three to four weeks. I mean, obviously it has to with free agency around the corner, but you know, I mean, it's far from a certainty that he's going to be a Dallas Cowboy. And it's very interesting that he'd be willing to play somewhere else because, you know, you connect the, the dots and it certainly points you, one of them at least points you to Jason Garrett and the New York Giants. And it would just be wild to, to think that these two guys would go to, you know, one of, if not the biggest Cowboys rival. And that that obviously could happen. I, I don't know what his market's really going to be, you know, um, you know, he played this year for what, $5 million. You know, I'm sure he's willing to take less to, to stay with the Cowboys, but I don't know how many teams are going to be interested. I don't know if it, if he's going to have a lot of interest. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure, but it certainly appears clear now that he is willing to, he wants to play bad enough that it will be even without the being on the Dallas Cowboys. And if just a year or two ago, I would have said that that would never happen because he really is the modern day, like Mr. Cowboy, because he it just, it's so few guys play that long with one team and he, and he's been with the Cowboys so long. I mean, just, you know, when you're at the star, like, and right by the locker room is, is this huge Jason Witten picture with his helmet off against the Eagles. It just like, I don't know. It's just like, he's such a part of the organization. Like you can't miss it. It's by far the biggest picture in, in the entire facility. And it's right over the top of the locker room where the players leave the locker room and then go into the Ford center. I just, uh, it's crazy to think that that guy could play for another team, much less the New York Giants. Um, and I understand, hey, if you want to keep playing, do what you got to do. And I understand that why he would do it. But I just it surprises me because I just never thought it would it would come to this. But it's certainly a possibility now, and there, there's no question about it. Yeah, and I mean, I can't see Jerry letting Jason go play somewhere else. We've heard interviews in the past of Jerry. Well, Jerry will bring up Emmett Smith playing for the Cardinals and how weird that was. Um, but, you know, if, if McCarthy is convinced, Stephen and Jerry, look, we have got to move on. We are going to speed up this offense. That does make you, make you go, okay, well, maybe Jason really can't fit here. But, you know, I, I kind of have a hard time seeing McCarthy convincing Stephen and Jerry, 
hey man, we don't need him here. We're we're, we're good. Like, cause that's the that's the ar- that's the argument McCarthy would have. Otherwise, it's uh, now we're good with Jarwin and Schultz. McCarthy's guys always carried a lot of tight ends on his roster too. Um, so like, I I think I think Jason coming back will probably happen. Just you know, we just won't know till after the combine. But I, you know, that's a pretty tense conversation for Jerry to be a part of right there. If McCarthy's going to walk in to Stephen and Jerry's office and say, "Look, here's why we don't need Jason Witten," like how do you think how do you think Jerry takes that? You know, Jerry wants Jason here for another year. I just think the role will be different. I do think because Garrett's gone, Jason's role will be very different than it was last year. Yeah, I don't, he's not going to get as many snaps. There's no question about that. And and I mean, that was what we were told going into last season that you know obviously his snaps were going to be less than what they had been. Uh, before he left for Monday Night Football, but now even more so. I mean, it's clear that Blake Jarwin is your young tight end and that that's your future at the position. Um, what it comes down to for me is that, you know, yeah, you can always draft another guy, but, you know, they drafted Dalton Schultz, and it wasn't like they took him in the seventh round. You know, yeah. they took him in the middle of the draft, and it's like he hasn't re- reached, like, this potential of where you're like, okay, well, we have two solid tight ends we can move on. You still don't really know what you have there. And so are you going in the draft to add that guy to replace Witten? I don't really know that that's the answer. And then so what do you do? You go into free agency, like we've talked before, like Richard Rodgers. Like if the price is similar, why wouldn't you just keep Jason (laughs) Witten? I guess that's where I'm at on that. Yeah. I enjoyed your article uh, on The Athletic, um, basically where you looked at the 20 biggest contract extensions for quarterbacks. Uh, Just went up a couple days ago um, at The Athletic, if if, uh, the listeners want to check that out. Uh, what was your kind of couple biggest takeaways from putting together that uh, research and doing that article? Because I thought it was an interesting read. You know, I, I've always I've never been a fan of this argument about a quarterback where someone says, "Well, if you pay your number your, your quarterback, you can't make the playoffs." I've never been a fan of that argument because a we found out last year that that's BS as the Packers, Seahawks, and then the 49ers went to the Super Bowl there. You know, they were all in the mix there, and they've all paid their quarterback. I've never been a huge fan of that belief, but uh, what was your big takeaway from kind of looking at these big uh, top 20 quarterback extensions over the last few years? Well, I mean, the, the biggest one is the just the guaranteed money, how much it's changed over the years. I mean, to think that yeah. uh, in 2004, I think it was Peyton Manning was guaranteed was like 34, 35 million. Um, and then obviously he had this <laughs> tremendous success on that deal. But, you know, I really didn't know what I was going to find going into it. I just was like, I want to find the, the 20 biggest second deals that that guys have gotten and let's just see you know where they fell did they you know meet expectations they exceed them um you know and and the the thing that was interesting to me too was just that you know you get a guy like joe flacco and and the the ravens gave him that big money because he just had won them a super bowl and it just you got nothing close to that production again after that um and i just wanted to see how many guys actually you know, still got had success after that that first rookie contract. You know, and 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 there were there were several guys. I mean, the guys that you'd expect. I was like the Roethlisberger's and and uh, you know Rogers, Drew Brees, you know Peyton Manning and stuff like that. Um, but you know, I think that some people I I saw in the comments took it the wrong way. Like I was trying to say, well, if Dak gets his deal, then you know he's not going to be successful, or he might just be okay or whatever. No, I don't. I don't know what he's going to be. To be honest with you, I'm just giving you an example. If here's 20 examples of where people fell, kind of in the pecking order. Some people had success. Some people like you know, and then the other ones that stood out to me were obviously Colin Kaepernick and and Andrew Luck because they got nowhere near their return on that that investment because well, neither of them are playing in the league anymore. So. Um, yeah, I, I think I think Dak will be fine. Like, I, I don't think that, you know, I, I do think that there is still room to grow. I think that's a problem that a lot of people just look at, like what he is now and think that that's what he's going to be. Like, I still think that there's room for him to grow. And I, I don't think that after four years, Russell Wilson was a finished product. I think he's gotten a lot better since then. And, you know, I, I, I feel like Dak's going to do the same thing. So I wasn't certainly trying to write it to kind of compare him to like this is where he's going to fall in this group, because I really don't know. But I will say this. If they if they get to a if they win a Super Bowl and, and under this next four year deal, um, it's worth it. It doesn't matter what what it really doesn't matter what they pay him. I feel like if you won a Super Bowl during that contract, at least the way I ranked them, it, it was worth it. And so the team is in a position where there's enough talent here that they should be competing for Super Bowls over this next four years. This isn't going to be a rebuild. This isn't a, um, a a situation where some of these quarterbacks were like by far like the guy that had to carry the whole team. There's other pieces around Dak too. 
And so once this deal gets done, this should be a four-year window to make a Super Bowl run. And I think that that's how ultimately that deal will be judged on is did they did they have success uh, and, and, and his numbers will be secondary to that. It's such a knee-jerk, uh, uh, you know, world we live in. But you also look at the league. The league is not conducive to, to knee-jerking. If you take a look at just the parity in the league, and that sounds like a generic term all the time, but uh, I guess my example here is the Cowboys have gone uh, even years they go make the playoffs and odd years they don't make the playoffs, it seems like, for the last few years. But my, my example here is Jared Goff, who Dak kind of gets lumped in with sometimes. Jared Goff, everyone was writing him off, calling him a disaster after seven or eight games uh, his rookie year under Jeff Fisher, where he shouldn't have been playing at all, in my opinion. He was thrown to the Wolves against a tough competition. Then he has a couple good years, and then he has a year like last year. And every time everyone's right, oh, Jared Goff, franchise quarterback, he's a badass, going Super Bowl, blah, then lose the Super Bowl, and all of a sudden he sucks again. And it's like, man, it's just not the way this works. It's not how any of this works. And I think I was looking at your list of uh, poor uh, return on investment. And I look at some of those names, aside of the outliers of Kaepernick and Andrew Luck, Joe Flacco, Derek Carr, uh, Carson Palmer, who was old at that time. I will take, uh, at that age, Dak, uh, Dak over Flacco any day. Not current day Flacco. I would take Dak over Derek Carr any day. I would take Dak over old Carson Palmer any day. The list that, that on, on your article that he kind of seemed to kind of hang out in, quite frankly, there's a too early to determine list with Wentz, Goff, and Garoppolo. And I kind of th- think he's either in there or I also liked your list of satisfactory return on investment. The guys in that list, Matt Ryan, Cam Newton, Philip Rivers, Matt Stafford, and Kirk Cousins. And I think those are the areas that Dak is in. Like, I, I, I just think he's going to it, – it, this is why I'm not hesitant with Dak, as I don't think it's going to be a disaster. Do I think he can win you a Super Bowl? Well, those are weird questions to ask anyone. Only one team gets to win a Super Bowl each year, right? Like, like every time that comes up, what do you think? You don't pay him unless he can win you a Super Bowl. Well, look – a lot of people can win a Super Bowl. Like, like the odds are not in your favor to win one of those. So I'm always like, I always think that's a weird discussion point that always comes up. But I guess I would say this. I am really confident that you paying Dak that money, that he will not suck for you. That he will be good for you. He will continue to get better for you. I'm very confident in that. And then if you make other savvy decisions and do things the right way in your organization, then the rest of the salary cap is not a problem. So that's where I've always stood on that. I, I know we uh, there's so many narratives when we talk about this type of stuff, but I've just been like, I think Dak's going to get better. And if you do believe that, then you could then you pay the guy, and you don't have a question about it. And the team who did that, San Francisco, they had no doubts in their mind that Jimmy Garoppolo was going to get better. They paid him, and it's worked out for them. So uh, you do the other correct things in your organization, and you don't have any problems. So those are kind of some. That's just where I stand on all that. Well, here let me throw this. Know, uh, let me throw this one at you. I I agree with you on the, uh, you know, you don't know if guys can win Super Bowls, but I believe if you're in that upper half, top, you know, ten to sixteen, I I believe those guys, most of those guys in that list can. And I put I put Dak right in there with Goff and Wentz of guys that I think all three of them can win Super Bowls. I think they're all three of them are good enough, and I think that's why Dak's contract is going to be somewhere, you know, in that neighborhood with those guys. Would you disagree with that? No, I, I I would not disagree with that. You definitely have a better chance if your guy's in that area, and I think he's in that area. And uh, look, I, I I have a hard time. Like I I think Dak is cusp, you know, top eight type guy. You know, I, yeah, th- I think oh, he's sure. on the cusp of being that. Um, and and I think if the if the, if the season wouldn't have completely fell apart at the back end of last year, I mean, who knows what would have happened? Because there were games where Dak could have played better. We all saw it. But, I mean, let's not forget that this guy was an MVP candidate through the first half of the season. And that's where I think things kind of change a little bit when I start going, okay, well, we've seen we've seen enough positive. The positive way outweighs the bad. Uh, let's go ahead and get it done. But, you know, he might be he might be holding out on his side too. So The problem um, is with but fans. But there's no question. Go on. What the problem is being irrational with fans? Yeah, well, it's just because, like, if, if – 
And, and, and it's so it's such a big group because there are fans that understand it. So it's like you don't want to single out fans as one group yeah. and think that. But they're, just the general thing that I get is that it's like, well, you should only pay a quarterback if you have Aaron Rodgers, Pat Mahomes, like Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady. Well, it's like that's not how it works, you know, because there's such a big yeah. drop off from that next group after them, too. You know, like it just doesn't work like that. Like it, it would be fine if like after that top five or whatever, it was just like everybody else was the same after that. Well, yeah, then they wouldn't be paying these quarterbacks like that. But it's not like that. And there's tons of guys in the middle like a Joe Flacco that have won Super Bowls. And so if you think that you have a guy that's capable of doing that, you have to pay him. And it's just, you're just not, I mean, I really think there's a lot of luck involved to be able to get a guy like Tom Brady, to get Patrick Mahomes, get Aaron Rodgers. Like, like I mean, it's just, the odds of you getting one of those guys is not great. And so when you have a good quarterback, you can't let that guy go either because it's not a good chance that you're going to get another good quarterback either. It just, there's just a huge drop off after, after that top 10, 15 to everybody else that that's, that's in that group after that. And so if you have one of those guys, and like I said, the key too, is that I do, I don't think that he's maxed out. I do think that there's still plenty of room for improvement. I mean, you have to pay that guy. I mean, I just don't, I don't understand where we're, you know, I, I just, I, I'm being on Twitter, you know, you just get this, this big feeling that like, Fans are ready to move on from Dak. They're ready to move on from Jason Witten. It's just like already like, let's just go in another direction now. It's just like, I don't know. I just don't understand how like you just can just snap your fingers and all of a sudden you're just like, yeah, no, this didn't work. We, we made our run. Let's let's break it all down and then build it up from the ground. Like, I, I, I don't know. I just don't think like that, I guess. I've got deeper theories on that that include the use of the Internet with an instant you know gratification world and things like that. But I think that'd be too soapboxy. For just this friendly, you know, podcast here on the Athletic, you know what I'm saying? Very friendly. All right, let's take you let's get take some shots at the internet though, because uh, you mentioned right, it. Like I, I, com- I completely agree with you, and and one of the things like you know, Kent mentioned at the beginning of the show, mentioning what's going on with the Astros, like that, like that's uh, that that is so like internet makes that stuff so much crazier. It makes me wonder how crazy it would have been during all the steroid stuff going on with like Maguire and Sosa and all that, like that was pre like social media. But because of that, I just feel like there's just so many people that are like, just feel like they're experts on every one of these quarterbacks. They're just experts because somebody said that this guy did this and this time of the you know game and that he's better than this guy. Cause this, and they just take every single thing that's out there as fact. Well, at least they use it as fact for their own side of the argument, you know, and, and it constantly can yeah. change, you know? So that's the part where, you know, I, I, that 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 obviously doesn't help Dak because if there isn't social media, uh, I I don't think that I would even see as much as I do. But it just seem, I feel like every day I'm just seeing more and more stuff about how people are like, you can't pay this guy, you got to move on. I'm just like, well, what do you think the alternative is? Like, you do understand that they wanted to draft Connor Cook over him. You do understand that they wanted to draft Paxton Lynch over him. Like, you do understand that the owner did want to draft Johnny Manziel. Like, there's a lot of swings and misses there that would have set the, this so- franchise back so far. So you're wrong. You suck. You're wrong. <laughs> hey, you're wrong. You know, quite frankly, though, I mean, I like a million things about the athletic um, in terms of getting information, but that's why I think the athletic, A, it's why it's so good. I do think there is a hunger from uh, uh, many fan bases to get your team covered in a way that's measured and rational. I do think there are people who are beginning to um, analyze what they take in, you know? I think there's a, a larger portion of the world who just takes in stuff, you know? Oh, yeah, I'll just watch CSI. No offense to anyone who watches that. But they just, you know, <laughs> throw it on, whatever, you know? But I, I think once you start, like, analyzing what they want to take in, you start to get a little deeper. And I think The Athletic does a great job of putting out measured stuff and avoiding kind of hot take nation. Mm-hmm. But you do look at, there's no going back. We're attached to our phones at all times. Uh, my, my example that I can always go to here is think about uh, growing up in elementary school or whatever. Um, okay. Go to the dictionary and look up the, the spelling and definition of this word or go to the encyclopedia. Well, you would physically, you would get that, the, the book, you would physically get the, uh, you know, the letter R of the encyclopedia and go read what a raider actually is. You know, here's the encyclopedia. Now you just look it up real quickly. So things have to come faster. And if you can't tell me that Dak's a good quarterback, then now, then I got time for you. You know what I'm saying? It's like mm-hmm. the internet has made things awesome, but has made things also suck a lot. <laughs> it's it's, it's, it's real weird. Said, and you know what? Aptly said, KT. Love that. I know. I 
there's also no going back. So, you know, I'm in it too. So, uh, and I just thank everyone for supporting yeah. the athletic and supporting us here on about them Cowboys. Well, speaking of the athletic, <laughs> it's time to welcome in, uh, one of my old friends from the draft show, the goat of all things NFL draft. He's hard at work. I can hear him typing in the background on his draft guide for 2020. And again, you get that free if you sign up for the athletic. So hit up our discount code there and, and get that and get ready to get your draft guide on for 2020. But let's welcome in to About Them Cowboys for the first time, Dane Brugler. How are you doing, Dane? Good. How are we doing today, guys? Good, man. Good to have you. Uh, KT has been hard at work uh, uh, carrying the torch for the draft show, and he's got a lot of draft stuff to talk about. But we've got a, a, a seven-round mock from John Mishota here that we want to get your thoughts on, uh, maybe, and, and see kind of where you fall on this Cowboys draft. So, KT, you want to go through this seven-round mock and get, get some thoughts yeah, on Yeah, let's, let's run right through it. John Mishota, just a little hypothetical exercise here. A way too early Cowboys seven-round mock. At number 17, the Dallas Cowboys select... Defensive end from Iowa, A.J. Epinesa. Uh, I like A.J. Epinesa, and I like that pick. Go ahead, Dane. Yeah, I like it too. And, I mean, I was ready to, I was ready to say just terrible pick, John. Just awful. But I tell you what, I, I like it. I, I think he did a nice job there. I, I, I think that we, <clears throat> we hear so much about Grant Delpit and Xavier McKinney and um, some of these other uh, players that have been routinely mocked to the Cowboys at 17. I think Epinesa is a name not being talked about enough as a, as a possibility there. Um, talk about the pass rusher position, how important it is. Epinesa is a little different. He's not that scream off the edge, going to win with just pure speed. Uh, he's going to win with heavy hands. He's going to win with violence. He's going to create his own passing lanes uh, w- with how he attacks blockers. So a little different than what I know a lot of people truly covet at the position but look if you can rush you can rush and if he's available at 17th pick i think there's a good chance that not only does he fit what the cowboys would be looking for but there's a good chance he'd also be the best player on the board at that point as well all right so i had a similar situation come up and he went one before i've seen a lot of mock drafts have him going uh right before to the falcons and so um in that scenario um, if I told you that, okay, they can't take him, he's off the board, uh, you know, Kinlaw's off the board, they're basically going to go corner there. And the only mm-hmm. corner that's off the board up to that point is Okuda. What, uh, what corner would you, would you think is, is the best, you know, the best value there at that point at 17? That's a good question. And I think that Okuda is tier one corner. I don't think a lot of people disagree with that. And that, but tier two is a crowded group with a lot of different opinions uh, of who should be the that second corner off the board. Uh, I think C.J. Henderson from Florida uh, makes a lot of sense. I wish he was more of a playmaker um, at the catch point. I wish he was a better run defender. But when you talk about a guy with height, length, and speed, I mean, he is outstanding in all three areas at the corner position. So I think he can be uh, a lockdown corner. I just, again, I wish he was a little bit more of a playmaker in terms of creating those turnovers. Um, I think he certainly has to be in the discussion. I'm a big fan of Trevon Diggs from Alabama. Uh, Stefan's little brother, uh, former wide receiver who checks a lot of boxes with his, his height, his length, his speed, similar to C.J. Henderson. Uh, Jeff Gladney is my fourth corner, so, but he's, I mean, like I said, this is a crowded group. So, I, I mean, even though, you know, I'm, I'm saying these guys in order of kind of how I would draft them, there's not a huge, uh, you know, gap between these guys. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if the Cowboys say they preferred Gladney or Christian Fulton from LSU. Uh, but me personally, I would go with the height, weight, speed guys, CJ Henderson, Diggs uh, at that point in the draft. I, I'm with uh, – I, I do like Gladney, and I, I think that's kind of the top five guys. I kind of have them about the same uh, as you do, Dane, maybe a little bit of a different order. Um, but I, I think what I would ask is what are the chances uh, – you know, you start talking about some of these guys falling to when you pick again at 51 and how big is the separation between, you know, those other guys. Maybe Cameron Dantzler can get in the mix there or, or Damon Arnett or something like that. What are the what are the chances those guys are kind of around and and they can kind of convolute that second area? 
Yeah, and I think the question is, how big is that second tier? You know, how how, how much does it stretch? Uh, if Okuda is the top guy, and then, you know, we're going to go 10, 12 picks, 15 picks, whatever it is, until that second corner is off the board. So that second tier of corners, how big is it? Uh, it so Henderson, Diggs, Gladney, Fulton, is that that second tier? And then we go to the third tier? Or do we throw a Cam Dantzler in there from Mississippi State who's, you know, 6'2", little leaner than you want buck 85 uh wish he would find the ball a bit better uh when his back turned uh, to the line of scrimmage but there's a lot to like about him uh, he's a high school quarterback who's really made a nice transition uh, to uh, to corner uh damon arnett I, I think he's a first round talent there, there's a lot of character stuff going on with him um th- the more i dig on that uh, a lot of teams are worried just about his maturity and um, how serious he's going to take it, and it, there's a lot that more go, that goes into it. So I, I think that he's he's going to be a guy that I think would be there for the Cowboys in the second round, but they have to feel comfortable with who he is. Uh, Jalen Johnson from Utah could be in that mix. Uh, Bryce Hall from Virginia is a little bit of the forgotten guy because he's been out uh, with an ankle injury the second half of the season, but he led the nation and passes defense uh, as a junior in 2018. So this is a guy with a lot of ball production. Um, and, and then we get into uh, some guys like AJ Terrell from Clemson, uh, Igbenogamini from Auburn. I, there, there's a lot of corners that are intriguing in this class. So I think there's going to be options, um, second or maybe even the third round, if the Cowboys want to go corner at that point. Let's continue making our way down the John Mashoda way too early seven round Cowboys mock. After AJ Epinesa in the first round from Iowa, the defensive end, we go to the second round, pick number 51 overall. The Cowboys take a safety from Lenore Ryan, Kyle Duggar. Love it. Well, I mean, he's, he's awesome. And, you know, I, I think that, uh, that would, uh, Signify, you know, we know Will McClay traditionally doesn't like those small school guys, but uh, I mean, talent's talent. And Duggar is a the classic late bloomer, did not have a lot of attention as a recruit, uh, mostly because he was undersized, didn't have a lot of tape out there. But he goes to Lenore Ryan, uh, North Carolina Division Two, and he turns himself into a legitimate uh, top 50, top 60 type of prospect uh, and went to the Senior Bowl. And that was a big step for him just to show that he belonged on the same field as uh, you know the other top seniors from across the country. And he more than held his own. A uh, little bit of a uh, has some tweener traits. Is he a linebacker? Is he a safety? Some teams like him better at linebacker. Some teams like him better at safety. Uh, he could do a little bit of both uh, with his athleticism, the instincts. So, no, I, I like the fit uh, quite a bit there because I think he can uh, creep up, play in the box, but he can also drop and cover tight ends and backs and, and be just fine, maybe even the slot from time to time. So I'd be a, a big fan of that pick. And traditionally, I mean, like he's small school guy, overaged. Uh, you know, he's an, he's an older guy that you're taking there. He's, he's going to be 24 years old on draft day. Um, but I think he's, he should test well at the combine and you know keep that momentum going that he created his, over his career, then the senior bowl, and then throughout the draft process. Third round, uh, we have Bryce Hall, the cornerback from Virginia, mm-hmm. pick number 82 overall. Yeah, and that I just mentioned him. Uh, a little bit of a forgotten guy because of the injury. Uh, he, he was a receiver in high school who – uh, didn't really have a ton of cornerback experience, but when he got to Virginia, there they saw this athlete who was a pretty good route runner, and they said, "Listen, I we think that your ceiling on on the football field could be more at corner." So he listened to his coaches. They moved him to over the defense, and he is such a good route runner that he'll run routes for receivers. He he can tell what receivers are going to do based off of his tape study, based off of tells at the line of scrimmage. Um, he's not a, he's, he's got better long speed than maybe the short area quickness. And so there will be some separation there, but he is so good at finding the football, making plays on the football. Um, I I think he is a guy that if he's available in the third round, uh, I think that'd be great value. Uh, because again, he's, he's kind of been that forgotten guy because the ankle. Oh, real quick. I was just going to say, I figured that it was probably too far when you were mentioning him in the first round. But the only thing that I'll, I'll say about that is I just feel like last year going into the draft that like we just never would have thought like 
Nasir Adderley, Taylor Rapp, Juan Thornhill, like Chauncey Gardner-Johnson would fall to where they did. And so, yeah, he probably won't be there there. But it's just like, I don't know, I kind of feel like in the third round, you just never know. Like maybe somebody falls, maybe even in that second round pick that there's a guy that like in these mock drafts falls, you know, like a Montez, Montez Sweat did last year, Greedy Williams, stuff like that. I just remember in the mock drafts leading in, you just never would have thought they would have been there at that point. And so that's why, I, I don't know, I probably should have had him going to him in the second round instead, but I was trying to make this a Cowboys friendly uh, draft that people would like, and it didn't work. If you look at the comments, they just think it's terrible. So sorry, go on. <laughs> no, I, I think that well, there is a chance I that think- that happens. Because, right, like I said, he's the forgotten guy. And, you know, if, say, I mean, Bryce Hall, he could be the eighth or ninth cornerback drafted. And if that's how it plays out, he could be there uh, in, in maybe the early portion of the third round. Myself, I've got a, a late two on him as just a grade. And so I think that if I really wanted him, I'm probably taking him in the second round, but not completely impossible that he could fall to the third round. Is he? Do you think he'll work out at the combine, or is he still working on that ankle? Um, I don't think he's going to be ready, um, but I don't know for sure. I, I would be surprised if he was working out. I think he's still kind of getting back. Yeah. But the, the, we know the combine is all about the medicals, and so this would be a great opportunity sure. for teams to find out, okay, how the surgery go, the rehab, the recovery, making sure he's on track and, and all those things. So, um, But it's speed is the question. Um, you know, is he – uh, four five zero guy is he more of a four five six guy, and, and that could matter. And you know, with all these guys that are closely related, you know, uh, a guy like Igbenogany from Auburn, he's going to run, you know, in, in the low four fours, and so maybe that could give him the edge over a Bryce Hall. And you know, you just might be able to get that discount on Hall, who's just a really good football player. A few more here, fourth round, one thirteen overall, Devin Duvernay. Of Texas to the Cowboys, Duvernay is going to be interesting. What he, based off of what he does at the combine, um, this is a guy who is a yeah. track champion in, in Texas. Um, is he, if he runs like he's capable of running, um, you know, is he going to sneak himself into that top one hundred? Um, it's just such a loaded wide receiver class that it's it's you know you're going <laughs> to get some of these guys in the fourth round and be you know just get a discount on them just. Because there's only so much room for him. Um, yeah, that, I, I like that pick. He's he's your slot option. He's built like a running back. He's gonna uh, create after the catch with his physicality more so than anything else. Uh, he can, you know, Grant Delpit uh, bounced off of him uh, on that LSU Texas tape when he tried to tackle him in the flat. So uh, you get a tough-minded player who uh, you he can track the ball deep, but you want to give him the ball in the short area of the field and let him create. You know, this is where, for, from a strategy standpoint, I like the idea of Cobb coming back for cheap if he'll do the one-year, you know, $5 million or less deal again. And then in round four, maybe even round five, you're able to get a guy. You know, Duvernay's probably going to go earlier, you know, fourth round. But, you know, maybe James Prochet from SMU. You kind of get mm-hmm. that guy you can kind of develop but also give playing time and help you because of what you said. The, the, the wide receivers are going to push – a little bit because there's so many of them, so many quality players. I think you'll be able to get a guy who can help you a little bit, you know, on day three. And I just think having a guy like that that you don't have to start but can get some reps throughout the season, I think is a good strategy moving forward. Yeah, I was no just trying to give him. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Well, you say on average, there's about twelve and a half receivers drafted top one hundred. I, I, good luck trying to rank your top twenty receivers in this draft. And without, you know, yeah. thinking like, okay, well, this guy, you know, all those guys could be in the third round. And so there's no doubt there's going to be talent at the receiver position that's pushed to the fourth, fifth round. So that's why a lot of teams are going to be like, yeah, you know, we really like some of these third round receivers, but we're going to take our corner here or we're going to take our offensive tackle here uh, because we feel really, really good about the receivers that are still going to be left for us in the fourth and fifth round. So I was trying to give them a receiver the that could receivers basically... Are a mess. Yeah, I was trying to give him a receiver at some point just because of how good the class is. And I was trying to give him somebody Mm -hmm. that potentially could replace Cobb. Who's got a better chance of being there, let's say, in the fourth round, Duvernay or um, uh, K.J. Hill from Ohio State? Probably Duvernay, um, but I I think they're very closely rated. Um, Duvernay's going to run better. Uh, K.J. Hill's the better route runner, the better 
catch point player. Um, so I think it's just kind of what you're looking for. If you're looking for more of the speed guy, then you're going to lean Duvernay. If you're looking for the the guy with the better production over his career, the more uh, reliable uh, pass catcher, you're going to go with KJ Hill. So I don't think there's any consensus there on who would go earlier. It's more just preference. I don't know when he'll go, but I think they're going to like the Boise State guy, John Hightower. I think they're going to like him. And we know they like Boise State players in general, but I think uh, Hightower is a name that we need to all keep in mind with them as well. Yeah, well, and um, Hightower, no, uh, he's a burner. He, he's going to watch for him at the combine because he's going to run in the 4.38 to 4.42 range. That, that, that would be my guess. Um, there's some character stuff there. Um, I think that there's there's some stuff that teams need to, to work through. But just as a pure vertical threat, he is a poor man's Will Fuller. And so that's that, that's something that could be a value on day three. Uh, let's fly through the last ones real quick, and then we'll get out of here. Fifth round, Benito Jones, defensive tackle in Mississippi. Uh, Dane, I'm going to go first here. Is it, I like Benito Jones in that area. Fifth round, I think, I think is good to kind of play that one-tech position or if the Cowboys do show some three four looks he could play the nose um but you know my biggest issue with him he was a fun he was fun a fun watch but he's also on the ground a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> he's kind of unbalanced got a bad weight guy but he was fun uh what do you think about Benito Jones yeah and that's why you're getting him in the fifth round and not earlier um he's just he is a country boy uh I mean he is a guy that literally <laughs> grew up on a farm he's got cows he hunts that kind of thing uh, but you watch some of his tape, and the Vanderbilt tape sticks out to me. He destroyed that offensive line. First step quickness. Love the way he uses his hands. Um, uh, he, he does a nice job detaching and, and creating movement uh, with that upper body power. So uh, I think the 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 quick foot quickness and the upper body strength is why uh, I think in uh, fifth round he'd be a good value. But I think you're right. He he, he will get out of control at times. He will lose his balance. Um, he's more of a rotational player. But in the fifth round, uh, I think that's good value there. Also in the fifth round, uh, tight end Devin Asiasi uh, from, um, I hope I said that right, from you UCLA. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on him, Dane? Uh, I, I think that he's got a chance to go earlier than this. Um, but, you know, so if he's there in the fifth round, love the value. He is a guy, you know, uh, Jonu Smith from, from the Tennessee Titans, that kind of player. Yeah. Um, you know, he's... There's nothing great about him, but he's good across the board. You know, there's nothing elite about what he offers, but he can line up in line. He can line up in the slot. He runs solid routes. He catches the football. He does his job as a blocker. Uh, I mean, there's just a lot of things that he does fairly well. Uh, not a lot of deception to his to his routes. Um, you know, he's not a tackle breaker, not a big play threat, but he just does everything fairly well. And I think there's there's obviously value in that, especially on day three of the draft. A guy that uh, still has got some upside to him. You know, he went to Michigan, transferred to UCLA. This is kind of his first year as a starter. Came out early as a junior. So he's just a de- dependable player who has a little bit more potential to him. So in the fifth round, I think that'd be a steal. And then seventh round, Shaquille Quarterman, linebacker from Miami. A guy that's a four-year starter. And I think that, uh, you know, he's maybe not the athlete that you want at the position, uh, but he he lit up the stat sheet with all the tackles. Uh, he When the play's in front of him, he'll make it. Uh, you know, he does not, even against shifty backs, you know, and he's always in pursuit. Uh, he never quits. The eyes are great. He'll anticipate run lanes. Um, he bursts into contact. He's very durable. Played a lot of football. So I, I, just, I don't think he's going to be a, someone you really, uh, feel comfortable with in coverage. Um, you know, he's not the best blitzer, so he's a little one-dimensional as a run defender, very average athletically, but, uh, you know, we're talking in the seventh round. I mean, that that's provides some pretty good depth on your football team. John, I don't understand how you got killed for this. I mean, you covered all their needs. Um, you kind of tried to help sure up the defense there with Epinesa, Duggar, Bryce Hall, tried to get a wide receiver in there, and Duvernay, you got a uh, you got a big man in there, Benito Jones. I think you did a great job, man. I, I, I'm yeah, personally Dane okay approved. with this draft. Dane approved. That's the only opinion that matters, really. <laughs> oh, that, that's, I, I mean, yeah, I think you're coming away with an impact pass rusher. You're getting, you know, you're, you're helping out your secondary in a big way on day two. And then on day three, I mean, you're getting some, I think, some steals with some of those players that, again, day three is where you add depth. That's where you add 
young players who are going to contribute on your football team. So, yeah, if that's how it turned out for the Cowboys on draft day. Yeah, sign me up. I, I think they're a better football team than uh, you know what what could possibly happen uh, in the draft. Boom. All right, I think that uh, that about wraps it up, right, Kent? That about that, good. That huh? wraps it up. We will we will head out to Indianapolis and we'll catch up with Ooh. Dane maybe out there and yeah, definitely a lot of coverage from from prospects to pros podcast coming out coming out of the combine as well. So check out Dane's podcast with Chris Burke and KT will be guesting on there this week. So check that out if you want more draft talk. But yeah, John and I'll head out to Indy and KT. Hopefully you can uh, hold it down back in Dallas. Yeah, don't worry about uh, don't worry about if you guys need me to take your dogs out or whatever. Just let me know. I'll swing by and <laughs> let them out and hold it down back at back at home. Appreciate Be it. Be safe man. out there, guys. Thanks, boys. All right, I'll do the outro uh, for uh, the King Dane Brugler, for the producer Kent Garrison, for Father John Mashoda. I am KT, and this has been another episode of About Them Cowboys. Mm-hmm.